Hey everybody, Kyle here. You're listening to the UCIC Slugcast, brought to you by the Division of Student Affairs and Success. This is What the Heck is the Deal with These Quintuple Rooms, Part 2. Part 1 went over a lot of the context for the quintuple room decision. It's very important stuff, and don't take it from me, but I think it's a pretty good episode. Go check it out if you haven't already, and then come right back, because this episode's a real humdinger, too. Thanks for listening, and please enjoy. Part 2. The Response So, we've gone over why the quintuple room decision was made in the first place. Now, let's explore the people behind these kinds of decisions. A while ago, while doing research for a different Slugcast episode, I came across a BuzzFeed News article called UC Santa Cruz is asking professors and staff to open their homes to students because of a housing shortage. It was written by Tanya Chen on August 30th, 2018, and contained a very familiar name in a fairly unflattering context. Here's a quote. I'm writing to you today to see if you may be able to help us by offering a room for rent in your home to a UCSC student this fall, reads the email sent by Dave Keller, the Executive Director of Housing Services on UCSC's campus. Keller said there are currently several hundred incoming freshmen still without housing assignments and a shortage of any available space for them on campus. He's asking faculty and staff to open their homes up for the entire academic year if possible. The need is real and it is urgent, he wrote. Later in the article, Chen quotes a UCSC alum who describes the move as unacceptable and disgraceful, thus summing up BuzzFeed's take. The story was then picked up and thrown around like a football between various smaller online news publications, all insinuating very strongly in newsies that UC Santa Cruz was dropping the ball on housing their students and dragging their workforce into a problem of the administration's making. Unsurprisingly, that's the gist of a lot of the criticism I've heard regarding the conversion of lounge spaces into quintuples and seven-person apartments and really any other unpopular housing move UCSC has made. To say that I was eager to get Dave Keller's reaction to this would be an understatement. Going into our interview, though, I was a bit hesitant. It's not always advisable to ask an administrator about their bad press. But... Following a question about the timetable for Student Housing West, I saw an opening and I took it. What you're about to hear is one of my favorite moments in any interview I've ever done. Alrighty, so I'm going to change tack a little bit um, and jump into, so you talked a little bit earlier about um, kind of the myriad of decisions that um, housing services at UCSC has had to make uh, to densify, to uh, kind of constrict things. And I know um, when I was doing initial research for the, uh, the Camper Park episode a while back, I came across a couple articles uh, from like news publications. I think one of them was from like BuzzFeed um, mm-hmm. and they addressed, uh, okay, you maybe know what I'm about to get into. You know what this is, yeah. Oh yeah. It, and it addressed um, like the, uh, an email that the university sent out saying we like, yes, you sent it. Dave Keller, you were yeah. mentioned in the, in the article. It was my, name. that was my thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So I, I found that and I, I just found myself thinking like, oh man, like they're kind of dogpiling on this email and it's sender. Um, and I found myself wondering like, how does it feel as an administrator on a personal level? You don't have to, you know, get super personal, but how does it feel to be publicly criticized for decisions that you had to make in order to continue housing UCSC's burgeoning student population? 
Sure. So a little context on that email. Um, that wasn't the first time we've done that. During periods where um, housing was really tight and where our listings in the community rentals office, I think you know about that resource. It's the office within student housing services in one of my areas that, that helps students do an off a successful off-campus housing search. We also maintain a listing service there. And there are many, many people who only list with us. They don't list publicly. They would just, they want to house, you know, UCSC students. Um, and so during periods where we have a huge demand, and we don't have good a good number of listings. I've done those kind of emails before, you know, reaching out to the university community, saying, "Hey, faculty and staff, you know, if you have a room available in your house and you thought about maybe renting it, this would be a great year to do it. There's really a big need." Um, but the one you're talking about definitely took on a life of its own. Um, it got picked up by a number of outlets, and, and and BuzzFeed was probably the big one, and then it spread to many many others. And they sort of they took a a, a uh, their sort of narrative was university asked professors to house students in their home, <laughs> you know, because that sounds weird to people, right? So that was like the, the catchy sort of way they, they went with the story. It was really outreach to our entire employee base, you know, all the staff and faculty and everybody um, saying, if you or anyone you know, you know, can, can help in this way, um, would encourage you to list any available, you know, rental space or space that you've thought about renting. And, to, you know, it's never fun to be criticized, but end of the day, that uh, thing yielded about 84 additional listings. So I do it again. <laughs> like, I was fine. Like, that's a lot. That's a lot of listings. I don't know how many of those I have to think, you know, many more than half probably resulted in a student finding a, a good place to live, you know, here in, in the local community. So, totally worth it but yeah I, I i heard i heard from a lot of people i mean that's it's, huge at the time that we did yeah. it we had under 100 like normally yeah. we have a couple hundred listings by midsummer and if we do more and more outreach you know we we tend to get more so it was a it was a, a big jump in listings which is what i was after what what parts of the job do you take satisfaction in and do you think that satisfaction outweighs the tricky decisions and the mm -hmm. the the very difficult to navigate areas that you've had to uh, you know, wage war with in the past. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's just being able to provide the, the, basic things that students need to position them to pursue their education, right? That's where I, I derive the satisfaction knowing that, you know, there are 9,300 students living on the campus being provided everything they need and all the support and resources that they need to be successful as students. And that's the way I contribute. And so I, I find that hugely gratifying and it's definitely worth the, 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 the difficult times that come up as well. Um, share a quick story. I was down uh, just before move-in weekend. I had to go down to the city parking office to get my residential permits. And there was a couple with their college-aged um, son, you know, in front of me. And I had my UCSC um, jacket on. And the mother said, oh, you know, do you work on campus? I said, yeah, I do. She goes, what do you do? And I said, I work in housing. And she went, ah! <laughs> I mean, it was funny. We had a good talk after that. But <laughs> it spoke to the incredible frustration these people had had their son was a junior um, really didn't want to live on campus knew that he wasn't prioritized knew that he wasn't really going to get the kind of housing that he would want to live in on campus and they had spent a lot of time and I have to imagine a lot of money trying to find something they weren't even happy with in town so the more I can do to provide the on-campus residential experience for students that's that's what does it for me because you know no we don't want people to have the kind of experience that family had had I stayed in touch with her. her. Her son's doing fine. It goes without saying that this passage told me a lot about what it's like to be in Dave's shoes. In some ways, he's got a grueling job, 
but a big part of the reason he does it is because he's passionate about this kind of higher purpose element to higher education. The one that's conjured whenever Chancellor Cynthia Larive talks about enriching the world through education or conducting research for the public good. If he can create a satisfactory housing experience for as many students as possible so they can live and learn and get a degree in Santa Cruz, he's doing his job. At the end of the day, regardless of whether you're fond of his decisions, Dave Keller is a human being who has intentions beyond cramming as many students as he can into university housing. So, you may be thinking, that's well and good, but what about the humans on the other side of the equation? That is a great question. Part 3. The Experience Remember that little morning scenario I gave you at the beginning of the first episode? Well, now it's later in the day, around mid-afternoon. I'm coming back from a work session at McHenry, and I'm looking forward to some much-needed chill time. But, as I queue up a YouTube video and try to relax, for some reason I start to get a bit antsy. My roommates are acting perfectly normal. Mason's in bed, Sam is gaming with his friends, Nate is watching hockey, and Godfrey's out. But after probing the feeling for a little while, I come to the conclusion that I just really don't want to be in a room with other people right now. So, I sigh, put away my computer, and go for a walk. This is maybe the only real issue I have with my quintuple room. It's hard to ever be completely alone in my living space. And I know that's an issue with every room that's not a single, but the likelihood of getting the room alone goes down with every added inhabitant. Once, I I looked out and got the better part of an evening when three of the guys were visiting home, but other than that, little five-minute slivers where somebody goes to the restroom 15-minute bursts where one guy leaves and before another returns. Tiny glimpses of a living space where I could be quietly, comfortably, contentedly on my own sometimes. The result of this feeling is that I just don't spend that much time in my room. Okay, I really don't mean to complain that much about my quintuple room situation. My roommates and I, by and large, we get along fantastically. We seldom have disagreements, we respect each other's belongings, we're always cordial with one another, but we aren't friends. We don't have that much in common, and thus far it seems like we've all been relatively content to carve out our own little spaces and simply coexist. And that is a great situation, especially considering the alternative. But in the interest of capturing the fullest possible picture, I wanted to find someone whose quintuple room situation differed from my own. Maybe they loved their roommates. Maybe they hated their roommates. Maybe they never felt like they needed to escape. Maybe they always felt like they needed to escape. Luckily, I didn't have to look very far. Dr. Pepper at the dining hall. True. Dr. Pepper oh, at the... promote that. If okay. you've never tried it, put a little Dr. Pepper in your cereal. True. With milk. Whoa. With it's milk. pretty good. Oh, jeez. It works really good with like Fruit, Fruit Loops. Because then, because you know the Dr. Pepper's got the fruity This flavors. is Ryan and Alessia. They live in the building next to mine. Less than a minute into our spontaneous and very chaotic interview, I asked them the big question. 
has it been a positive experience overall, like a net positive? Yes. Okay. I can't. I can't imagine my college experience without my roommates. Yeah. Really? Honestly, oh, that's wonderful. I leave and I'm like, oh, I miss them. It's like a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> you know, you always got someone to go to the dining hall with. People in like triples and doubles, they just seem a little sad all the time. <laughs> This take, meaning the notion that they can't imagine a college experience without their quintuple room assignment, really threw me for a loop. Quickly, it became clear that the main reason it worked out this way for Alessia, Ryan, and their three roommates is that they all really like each other. They all have movie nights. There's lots of space for movie nights. Oh, yeah. They do yoga together. Like, we have this big space in the middle of our room, so we have a yoga mat, and you're always up doing stretches in the morning. Yeah. And, in Alessia's case, they lovingly annoy each other, much like siblings would. I can just get up and be like, yeah, who am I going to bother? Yeah, I'm like sitting at my desk doing some homework, and I just hear like, Ryan, Ryan! In other words, Alessia and Ryan got really, really lucky. There's not much privacy in a quintuple. If even two out of five roommates hadn't gotten along, or everybody just wanted to be on their own all the time, it could have turned into something hellish, or at least uncomfortable. But it didn't. And now they consider their situation to be more than just satisfactory. They consider it to be ideal. It's yeah. an interesting topic. Do you, do you want me to act like I hate it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me, give me one line of you just hating it. Should I start crying? Yeah. <laughs> Go, like, full dramatic. <laughs> no, I can. This interaction with Alessia and Ryan taught me that there is a near infinite scope of possibilities for living in a quintuple room. A lot of it boils down to the personality types of the people who get assigned to it. Sometimes you can escape the room for a little bit and that solves a problem. Sometimes things are inescapable. Sometimes you don't need to escape anything. At the end of the day, it doesn't seem like there's that much that's different about a quintuple room than any other rooms. There's just more people. If I'm being totally honest, when I started making these episodes, I didn't think that that was the conclusion that I'd come to. I thought I'd be able to list the many substantial differences between a quintuple and other room types, to provide, in essence, a safety label for a living situation that doesn't have that much information about it online. I can't really do that, because still, there's so many unknowns, so many permutations. But here is my main takeaway. If you have been assigned to a quintuple, first ask yourself, can I live in a room with four other people full stop? If the answer to that is a resounding no, email your housing coordinator and ask to apply to a different living space as soon as possible. Some people just aren't able to share a room with that many people, and that's totally fine. But if you think you'd be able to do it, and you're just worried about getting roommates that you don't like living with, don't stress out about it too much. You'd be surprised at how many ways there are to work around feeling a little stifled now and then. And don't forget, there are advantages to living in a quintuple. I have my bike in my room, upside down next to my bed with a sheet over it. I wouldn't be able to do that if I was in a smaller room. The fact that a bunch of lounge spaces have been converted into quintuple rooms kinda sucks. It's a less-than-ideal response to a less-than-ideal situation. Everyone, from the administration to the students, is aware of that. But there are still opportunities to prosper and do what we came here to do. Get a high-quality education. If things don't work out, there are people whose jobs are literally to help us. At the end of the day, the quintuple was worth it for me. 
whether it's worth it for you might be different. And again, if you have been assigned to one and you're listening to these episodes to learn more, I hope I've provided enough information to help you make your decision. Once again, this episode was produced by Kyle Keller for the UCSC Slugcast, which is brought to you by the Division of Student Affairs and Success. Again, I would like to give a special and massive thanks to Dave Keller for giving me what I consider to be one of the best pieces of tape, so to speak, that I've gotten so far in my career as a podcaster. I'd also like to thank Alessia and Ryan for sharing their experiences in a quintuple and their secrets about putting a little bit of Dr. Pepper in your bowl of Fruit Loops at the dining hall. I haven't tried it yet, but I'm going to, I swear. And also, thank you to my friend Lizzie Hatch for the additional voiceover work. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.